Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Edith Lane, and I love serving in the tutoring program in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. Help us, O God, in this hour of worship to offer to you our sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Make us a people who are so thoroughly grateful for the life you offer us that we become worthy stewards in the household of faith. Help us to remember the poor among us. Grant to us the generous spirit that captured the hearts and lives of those first disciples who formed and expanded our church to the ends of the earth. Empower us to speak your words of grace and mercy to a world in need of the Savior. All that, this we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Amen. Thank you, Andrea. Would you please stand and let us join together in listening to the psalmist's words for a responsive call to worship from the 92nd Psalm. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night to the music of the lute and the harp, 
to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Let us worship God. and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so is great, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Trusting the love of God, let us confess our prayer. Let us pray our confession together. Help us, O Lord to confess our sin and open us to the new life that only faith in Jesus Christ brings. Yet we are inclined to...
if we believe we have the answer to every question. God of all truth, forgive us. If, on the other hand, we have been unwilling to live without an answer to every question, God of all mystery, forgive us. If we have turned a blind eye or a deaf ear to the human need around us, God of love, forgive us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As far as the East is from the West, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. As the Father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows how we are made, he remembers that we are dust. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Let us affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As God's forgiven children, let us greet one another in Christ's name. Good morning. Welcome to worship at Church of the Palms. It is good to be together to worship our Lord. And as we uh, continue with our, a few announcements, I would invite you to uh, take the friendship pad that's on the end of the pew there, the red pad. 
jot your name down to let us know that you were present and then pass that along. Especially if you are a guest with us this morning, we would love to know that you were in worship and how we might be in ministry together with you. So I would encourage you to read through the announcements that are in the bulletin. There are still a number of exciting ministries going on and I would invite you to participate in those where you feel called. I wanted to highlight just a few. Uh, exciting today, we are um, welcoming back as our guest preacher this morning, Dr. Morgan Roberts. Dr. Roberts, great to have you back with us as our uh, senior pastor. Dr. Steve McConnell is continuing his sabbatical, which has taken him across the pond to Ireland. So we can uh, be in prayer for Steve as he suffers for Jesus over on the Emerald Isle. <laughs> Hopefully he won't be watching the uh, podcast or anything like that. Maybe I'll get this text message or something. Hey, put a lid on the suffering for Jesus. So I uh, wanted to, uh, a few things that I wanted to mention today uh, is a day when we will be having a, a new member class uh, just following this service over in the chapel. If you would like to learn more about Church of the Palms and what it means to make a membership commitment here, we would invite you to join us there, and, um, and, and then uh, you'd have the opportunity either to make that commitment now or to wait until you feel that uh, God is leading you to do that. So uh, from 10.15 uh, up until about 11.30 this morning, new member class over in the chapel. Also, uh, we have a SHAPE class that is coming up. It begins this Saturday, two consecutive Saturday mornings. Uh, shape class. You can find details about that in the bulletin. That's Saturday, June the 20th and 27th. You can register for that uh, under the fellowship tree after the service or online on the church website. You can read through the announcement in the bulletin for more details. Also, as we have been talking about in recent weeks, you will see in the bulletin, I think it's on pages 16 and 17, we are in the midst of preparing to host our fourth Day of Hope event coming up on Saturday, July the 25th. We will be um, serving 250 um, children, uh, children who are greatly in need or considered homeless in the Sarasota County Public Schools, helping them to get ready to start the school year on an even playing field with their classmates, providing medical checkups and dental checkups and haircuts and backpacks filled with school supplies and um, personal item bag and gift certificates for clothes and for shoes. And we, we will be serving those children with about 300 volunteers here on our campus on that Saturday. So there's a chance for you to be involved in that. You can support this uh, amazing ministry financially. You can support it by volunteering your time on that day. You can support it by donating new children's shoes and socks for us to give to the children that we serve or by bringing in new or gently used children's books so that we can provide those to the children that we serve. There are so many exciting things going on that we encourage you to be a part of them. Let us continue to worship God.
It's awesome. Let us now go before the throne of grace and pour our hearts out to our Heavenly Father. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we come to you on this day, as we have on many other days, to give you thanks for so many things, for our redemption in your Son, Jesus Christ, for your abundant blessings that we experience continually, for the challenges that help us grow, and for your exceedingly great promises, which you fulfill without fail. We also want to express our appreciation for being in fellowship with you in this community of faith. We are part of each other and rejoice in this belongingness. We are grateful yet humble for these opportunities to learn and practice love and mercy, justice and equality for all people, and doing the next right thing. We need and seek you and your presence, not only at this moment, but throughout the week as we go about our busy lives before we gather again in your name. Help us to be salt and light in our homes, at our places of work and school, sports and community activities, and wherever we find ourselves. We long for others to see Jesus in us, but we cannot do it without you and the power of your Holy Spirit. Often when we look around us at our world, we are troubled and concerned. Lord, we pray for your intervention and guidance in not only faraway places such as Asia, the Middle East, Africa, and Central America, but also in our own country. Please, Creator God, bring an end to the violence and death and suffering. May there be peace and safety, shelter and clothing, medical care, jobs and education for all. We pray for the needs of the people in this sanctuary and our families. Lord, please look down inside each of us and understand the cares and burdens, the hurts and problems that we are each dealing with. We need you, and we need you right now as we are praying and as we leave this place and enter the mission field. Be with those especially powerfully who are facing particularly difficult times of pain and suffering. Answer prayer for them in special and definitive ways. May this day bring glory and honor to your Son, Jesus Christ, as we pray the prayer he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us continue our worship with the presentation of our tithes and offerings.
Let us pray. Holy Father, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Please accept these tithes and offerings we give today out of our gratitude for all you have done for us. We humbly ask that you multiply these gifts and use them to seek and to save the lost in a world that so desperately needs to know you, your love, and your redeeming power. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And now we invite the children to come forward for the children's moment with Lori. Thank you. So if we have any kids that didn't go to VBS, if you would come here and have a seat with me, but otherwise, everybody else is going to go up just like we did. Stand up, stand up. Everyone else, come on down here. You're going to sit with me. Come here. Did you go? Okay, so we just had the most successful VBS we have ever had. It was called Mount Everest, Conquering Challenges with God's Mighty Power. We had over 125 campers, like six times the amount of these kids in the blue shirts all last week. We had 20 adults who gave of their time, their creativity, and their patience. But the real success of VBS, get this number, 71 middle school and high school students helped us leading this whole VBS week. Let me hear it for our high schoolers and middle schoolers. So I'm actually going to get out of their way because they're used to leading things, and I'm going to give it to Connor and Jillian. Okay. I'm in charge now. Besides our 8.30 to 12.30 times at VBS with these little ones, uh, on Tuesday, we stayed after and helped Miss Kathy clean the kitchen. And on Wednesday, we had water day and helped them out with all these water slides, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, woo, get excited. Thursday, 25 of us stayed and we made these awesome blankets, 17 of them. Pretty awesome, here, give you a good look. And then on Friday, we had our annual slime competition. Yes, it was pretty awesome. So basically throughout the week, these little ones were bringing in money and we raised $811 for Family Promise. Yeah, bring it up for that. All right, so each day we had a Bible verse and a main point. We wanna share with you what we learned each day. On Monday, we learned that God has the power to provide On Tuesday, we learned that God has the power to comfort. Hold on! On Wednesday, we learned that God has the power to heal. Hold on! On Thursday, we learned that God has the power to forgive. Hold on! And on Friday, we learned that God has the power to love us forever. So to finish off, we want to sing and dance to our Everest theme song. Feel free to sing along.
whenever I turn to the scripture passage which we're reading this morning, the so-called parable of the prodigal son, my mind automatically goes back to the summer of 1943. This parable happens on a farm, and in the summer of 1943, I was working on a farm. It was 10 miles out of town. We lived on the edge of the city of Schenectady, New York. I was 15 years old, and I would pedal out in the morning and pedal back around sunset. It was not a prosperous farm. It was still being worked with horses, not with a tractor. Uh, hay was still being pitched up onto a hay wagon by hand and not baled with modern equipment. I guess that during World War II, some farms had to resort to having inexperienced teenage help. The older country boys could make much more money going into the city where in the big factories, uh, materials were being manufactured for the war effort. Unlike the farm in this parable, which is operated by a very loving old father, uh, this farm was being managed by the farmer's widow, and she managed it with a harsh and heavy hand. I don't know how to describe her but to say that she was mean and stingy and unfriendly. <laughs> she, uh, she just hated to pay me every week. I was working for 35 cents an hour, which was pretty good in, in 1943. And uh, I remember one week when I had worked for 60 hours and thus had earned $21, she sat there and she said, this is just too much money for a boy your age. Of course, she had to pay me, but she really didn't want to. As they say, the apple never falls far from the tree, so it's no mystery that this uh, harsh and friendly old woman had raised three children two unmarried sons and an unmarried daughter, and they didn't like one another. Uh, I got along fine uh, with the younger son. I worked with him. But many years later, Nora and I drove back and tried to find that farm, and what we saw is that it had simply fallen apart. The cow barn was there, but surrounded by weeds. The horse barn was there, and the lady on the property told us that when the old lady, the old mother died, uh, everything fell apart and the farm was sold at auction. Now, it's because of this, whenever I read this parable, I have to inject a mother into it. There's not a mother in the parable. There's the father and the two sons. But I can't picture it without there being a mother, and I certainly don't think that the, the mother in this story would have been uh, mean and stingy and unfriendly. I think she's, like the father, uh, a nice old lady. And sometimes as I read the parable, I think I can hear them talking at night after the lights are out. Everybody's gone to their room and said, good night, John boy, or something like that. <laughs> and uh, She's talking uh, with the old farmer and saying, how did we ever raise two such different sons? That older son, I wish he could take a page from his younger brother's book and have some fun, but that younger brother, 
Uh, I wish he could take a page from his older brother's book and, and learn some of those solid Scottish Presbyterian values of thrift and hard work. And now he wants us to give him his inheritance ahead of time, which of course means his half, so we sell half of the farm. And what if he takes this and goes into the big city and blows it and then comes dragging back here his inheritance is gone, and when we're gone, he's going to be working for his older brother, and you know that's not going to work. But that father, being, in Ruskin's words, endlessly, foolishly, and incredibly merciful, goes along with the son's request. And so the story goes like this. Then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs, a pretty bad job for a young Hebrew lad. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of the hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, Quick, bring out a robe, the best one, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. When he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. The old Scottish commentator Marcus Dodd once said of the elder brother, he was not the sort to awaken in others the festive mood. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on, and he replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, all these years I have been working like a slave for you I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Several years ago, the New York Times uh, sent a reporter up to Harlem to interview the Reverend Dr. Calvin Butts, the pastor of that great Abyssinian Baptist church. Uh, set within a neighborhood scarred by drugs, crack houses, poverty, gang warfare, and uh, a whole array of social ills, Abyssinian Baptist has a wide array of programs uh, for social healing. And the reporter wanted to know about those programs, and so Dr. Butts described them, and after he finished describing them, the reporter said, well, tell me, do you think you're making a difference? And Dr. Butts said, we have no way of knowing. The reporter said, well, wait a minute, you're, you're expending all this time and staff energy and money trying to heal this community, but you have no way of evaluating their effectiveness. Why do you keep on doing this? And he said, get this, because we read the Bible and we know how the story ends. Don't you love that? We read the Bible and we know how the story ends. So let me ask you, how do you think the story ends? How does the world story end? How does our personal story end? After all, we live our life in a certain way. We have certain values. We practice certain things because we believe there's some meaning to life. We try to match the way we live to where we think it's all going. We have some notion of where the story ends, even if we've never thought about it. But the interesting thing uh, about the end of the story, uh, which in theology you don't know is called, uh, the Department of Theology that talks about uh, last things and how the story ends, is called es eschatology, after the Greek uh, uh, ad uh, adjective eschatos, meaning last. And if you've never heard the word or never thought about it, we all have an eschatology. We all have some notion of where it's going, and we live our life in those terms. What's interesting, however, is that some of us have been so skillfully wired with the notion of how the story ends, wired by our culture, wired by our families, wired by our church, that what we say we believe about the end of the story doesn't match the way we're living today. In other words, our walk doesn't match our talk. Uh, take an outrageous example. It's not all that outrageous. I've read of three or four examples this way. But let's say there's this Mr. Big Preacher on television who talks about a lot about the end of the story, about last times. Uh, he rants and raves about the rapture, how you'd better turn or burn, get right or get left. Now, that's what he talks about. When we look more closely, we find that he has this sprawling country of state, 
with a collection of sports cars, a small stable of fine quarter horses. He doesn't believe what he's preaching. What he believes is that life is a contest at the end of which whoever has the most toys wins. His walk doesn't match his talk. So where do you think the story is headed? How does the story end? Well, let me tell you about my journey with this parable. In the summer after 1943, it was either late in 1943 or early in 1944 when I was 16 years old, I found something up in my attic bedroom. Uh, it's something which if I had not found it, I'm pretty sure I can say I wouldn't be standing here today. And what I found was a dried out old edition of the New Testament. I still have it on the front flyleaf as the name of my aunt, Susan Morgan, in the year 1900. I don't know how long it had been up there. Now, it may not seem extraordinary that finding a New Testament was that much of a discovery, but you remember when I preached here in February, I told you that uh, my parents had sort of retired from church. When I was 16, my father was 61, and my mother was 57. They, uh, when I asked my mother once uh, why they didn't go to church, she said, as I told you last time, we put in our time earlier. So, so I, did, I wasn't brought up in Sunday school or church. I, I never had a Sunday where uh, you're a little kid and you go up and you have your first Bible. I didn't have my own Bible. So finding a New Testament was something very different for me. But I wanted to find something in it. I wanted to find this parable. Why? Well, my musical tastes were not very refined in 1944. In 10.30 Saturday nights, I could tune in on WWDA Wheeling, West Virginia, and hear Roy Acuff and the Smoky Mountain Boys, and I loved his ballad, The Prodigal Son. Now, why would I be interested in the prodigal son? I didn't have anything in common with the prodigal son. I had not blown my inheritance. I didn't even have an allowance. I had not, as it says in the King James Version, uh, wasted my substance in riotous living. It just interested me, and I, to this day, don't know how I found the parable. If you don't know anything of the Bible, how do you find a particular part of it? Well. I found it, I read it, I underlined it. And I not only underlined it, I memorized it word for word. And I began memorizing other verses of scripture. How did I pick them out? I don't know. I didn't pick out the usual uh, verses that they recite to you when they uh, t try to convert you. I didn't memorize Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I didn't memorize John 3.16. I don't know what I was doing, but there I am, up alone in the attic, memorizing scripture. I didn't start going to a church. I certainly didn't tell my parents. And I certainly didn't tell anybody at school. I didn't want them to think that I was some kind of a religious nerd. But what's interesting is that I thought that this was the parable of the prodigal son. But it isn't really. You have to read to the end of the story. And when you get to the end of the story, you find it's not about the prodigal son. 
It's about the older brother. So what's that final scene? The younger brother has come home. They're having a party. This is bigger than his bar mitzvah. And the older brother comes home. Father comes out, says, your, your brother's home. Come on in. And he stands there and says, me? Come in? With riffraff like that? This son of yours comes dragging home. He's smelling half with the perfume of a prostitute and half with the pork, pork of a Gentile hog farm, and you're going on like it's the second coming. No, I am not coming in. And there he stands. And we don't know what happened. The parable ends. He's in the outer darkness. The father is out there with him. Do you hear what this parable is saying? It's taking all of our usual scenarios and turning them upside down. What are the usual scenarios? Whether it's sermons or whether at times it's jokes. You know, you die, you arrive at the pearly gates, as they say in St. Peter's there. And there's uh, like a two-part exam. First, a multiple-choice exam on theology to see if you believe the right things. And then there's an ethical background check to see if you behaved in the proper way. If you pass, St. Peter says, come on in. If you fail, down the drain, the outer darkness. <laughs> but that's not the way the parable ends. The problem is not that the door is slammed in anyone's face. The problem is that the door is wide open and there are those who, when they see all of the riffraff who've been saved by amazing grace, are going to say, no, that's not my crowd. I don't want to go in there. And you know, this matches up with those last uh, words in the book of Revelation where we see the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And what does it say about the holy city, New Jerusalem? Her gates shall never be shut. They're open. The problem is there are people that don't want to go in. You know, this matches also that theological fantasy of C.S. Lewis, and God forbid that someone should stand in Steve McConnell's pulpit and not find a way to mention C.S. Lewis. <laughs> Bruce mentioned it a few weeks ago, the great divorce. A busload of people are in this fantasy brought up from purgatory to the foothills of heaven and they're given a second chance. And except for one of them, they don't want to go in. They'd rather live in their own self-centered hell. The door is open, they don't want to go in. It also matches something that uh, Jesus said once the disciples uh, asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? And he said, oh no, it's going to be much bigger. People are going to come from east and west and north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. This is the great banquet of the kingdom. This is going to be big, much bigger than you can imagine. All kinds of people are going to come to the great banquet of the kingdom. The problem is, there are people who won't want to go in. Let's try to put this in a scenario. Let's, uh, let's picture a good, respectable elder of the Presbyterian Church. His wife uh, has been president of the Women's Association and 
they're on a retirement motor trip. They're taking a trip with their Cadillac through the western mountains, and as fate would have it, they, they go off the road and they die together. And they arrive at the banquet hall in their Cadillac. At least they think that they, they are so Cadillac conscious, they think they're still in their Cadillac. <laughs> the first thing the husband says, he looks at this banquet hall, he said, uh, uh, check the invitation again. This doesn't look like our kind of place. <laughs> this looks like one of those halls that some people have to rent when they don't have their own club, you know, the kind of hall you rent where the wedding banquet is served. It's chicken a la king on a paper plate with a pitcher of beer in the center of the table. This does not look like our kind of place. And oh, for heaven's sake, there she is. It was a happy day for our church when she left, living the way she did. How did she get here? And then there's the two of them. They didn't fit our, our church, and we made it clear they must think the rules have changed living the way they do. How did they get here? And look at the rest of the crowd. Some of them are wearing work shoes. They don't know how to dress. You can go to Penny's or go to Kmart and get a basic blue blazer. They don't know how to dress. They can't even speak our language. This can't be the heavenly banquet. This looks more like Walmart and it smells like Waffle House. <laughs> and so they sit there in the parking lot. This is not the heaven that they expected. They won't go in. Let me tell you about another banquet. Uh, several years ago, I went back to speak at an anniversary banquet of I guess the happiest pastorate I ever had, the First Presbyterian Church of Birmingham, Michigan. And my talk that night was entitled, They All Come Home at Last. And uh, it was a big banquet, five, 600 people, I guess, and I said, you know that there's a big banquet coming in the future, and it's not gonna look like our crowd, and you're the ones who have invited all these other people who are gonna be at the big one. Now, the interesting thing about this church is that it looked so Presbyterian. I mean, uh, modern Gothic architecture, a very traditional uh, worship, uh, all classical music, no guitars, that kind of thing. It looked very traditional. Uh, 3,500 members. Uh, it was a real necktie church, you might say. But there had been a long interim after the pastor who had been there for 34 years, who had just wanted to control everything. And during the long interim, all kinds of ideas were growing. And the great thing about this church is you know when a pastor arrives, you have to push and pull to get people to do things. Everything that was exciting was their idea. I could not take credit for some of the most exciting things they did. I often felt like Gandhi who said once, there go my people, I must run and catch up with them for I am their leader. <laughs> On their own, the women of the church learned that there was no ministry at the women's jail in Detroit. So they just started one. It was a ministry of care and friendship. And they'd go every week, they'd take little gifts with them. They'd talk with the women. When they had served their sentence, they'd keep track if they could, take them to lunch. One Sunday morning, they brought one of these ex-cons to church. The same women sent 
several thousand dollars when they learned about the conditions under which farm workers were working in California sent several thousand dollars to Cesar Chavez and the United Farm Workers. And another group of people worked for 19 years to bring low-income senior housing to downtown Birmingham. They worked through complications and court battles, and they won and built a beautiful facility so that old folks who'd run out of their resources could stay in that town and be within walking distance of the things they needed. And all of these were their ministries. You see, these were just ordinary Presbyterians who believe what we say in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth now. The ministry of the church the mission of the church was not to sell fire insurance and cheap cruises to the sweet by and by, but to bring the kingdom of God to earth now. They believed that a great banquet was coming, and they wanted to invite as many people as possible. And you know, there are a lot more people who know Jesus than we realize. Paul Claudel, the Catholic theologian, says, in the heart of the meanest miser, the most squalid prostitute, there is an immortal soul with holy aspirations which, deprived of daylight, worships in the night. Far more people talking to Jesus than we realize. And when we talk, uh, when I preach in July about the 25th of Matthew, we're going to find out there are people that know Jesus that don't even know they know him. But he knows them because he knows his sheep. Oh, what surprises there are going to be when we see that endlessly, foolishly, incredible mercy of God. That acceptance that is greater than our dysfunction. That long arm of grace out of which we cannot squirm. That love that will never let us go, that you can't sin yourself out of because we have a Heavenly Father who never gives up. And so, the parable ends, and we don't really know how it ended. But I have my own scenario for the ending. Father, the older son are out there. I think the mother said to the younger son, now you've had a good time here with your friends. Go out there with your father and see if you can talk to your older brother. And I think after a while, she went out herself. So that at last, there they are, the father, the son, and the mother. The father, the son, and the mothering spirit, a perfect trinity of amazing grace. And if that's how the story ends, could anyone ever be left behind? <laughs>
And now as this service ends and when you go from this place, go with God's blessing. And now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, who is able to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to him be all glory and power, honor and dominion before all time, now and forever. Amen.